Hi, and welcome to Episode 6 of The Risk Cast, the official podcast of the Risk and Insurance Management Society, Risk Management Magazine, and the Risk Management Monitor blog. My name is Bill Coffin, publisher of Risk Management Magazine, and I uh, thank you for joining us here today. Uh, with us are our usual suspects, uh, Morgan O'Rourke, editor-in-chief of Risk Management Magazine, and Emily Holbrook, associate editor of the magazine and also the uh, main writer for our blog. Our format's going to be a little bit different today. Uh, fans of the podcast know that we haven't had a new episode up in a little while. That's been because of a couple of technical difficulties we've had that have been dogging us for a while. We think we've got them resolved, but unfortunately this episode was not immune to them, and so uh, we were forced to record this on a omnidirectional microphone that has the, you know, that, this, that, that sort of lends a, a more of a roundtable feel to the entire the entire thing. Um, this comes on the heels of, of us recording an entire episode that we had to uh, basically ditch in favor of, of doing it again the next day. So uh, not everybody was really happy about doing that, uh, least of all poor Morgan, who was doing some pretty serious editing when I pulled him out of his office to do it to do another episode on the fly. Um, but uh, you know, after a couple minutes of letting him rant and rave about uh, various things, we were all we were all good to go again. Um, unfortunately, I can't really publish a lot of what he was ranting about because uh, we'll lose our clean rating. But let it let me let me just you know you know suffice it to say that uh, it dealt with him uh, punching koala bears in the face and uh, mainly uh, talking about the delectability of endangered species. So with that in mind, uh, the, the, we eventually got the, com- the conversation steered back a little bit more towards risk management, and uh, we're going to join the podcast in progress now. And um, from there, we'll, uh, we'll you know, you know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. Enjoy. some animals facing extinction that quite honestly I don't really feel bad about it and some of it's human intervention some of it's just straight up Dar- you know Darwin chose you to lose and like like, for, like the cheetah is a great example okay cheetah is a magnificent animal it is way too specialized if you see how those things hunt right I mean you know the average ratio for any predator you know hunting I mean they, they make like one out of 20 attempts you know results in a kill a cheetah cooks off like 4,500 calories or whatever running up to 70 miles an hour to go after some gazelle that shakes it loose that's that's a poor design. I mean, when you see when you see and, and a lot of cheetahs when they do make a kill, they're so exhausted from the hunt, yeah. they get about three bites before uh-huh. some lion sho- shoves in. It's like, all right, one step step aside. I'm eating now. So, it's, I mean, I, I, so, so that's just evolution. Is just you know what? Those guys are on the way out. We just can't see it because we're used to thinking in like in, in time frames that are so short. You know, we don't think in evolutionary time frames. But like say polar bears, all right? Polar bears, yeah, they're gonna go. It's like they're gonna they're gonna extinct. But you know what? <laughs> I mean, if I lived up in, in the farthest reaches of the Yukon or Alaska or something, and I had to deal with them coming around every once in a while, it would not really make me all that sad that they're gone. I mean, it's... All right. It sucks to have the idea that the biodiversity, you know, is a, is a really good thing. Yeah. But we're not willing as a species not to, to, to really do what we need to do to keep all these species. But we're just not willing to do it, period. There's, no matter what any Greenpeace or any other organization says, we as a species are willing to live a certain way collectively, and that way is not going to be changed all that much, maybe a little bit here and there, but nobody's really going to care enough for these species to have the ones that are threatened to, to really like bring them back, typically. No. Polar bears, I mean, what are we going to do? Reverse global? It's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> no. talk about it. The only time global warming is going to be an issue is when you're you know, in a flood, you know, on a plane in Kansas and you start seeing 
flooding or something. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You have that. The whole flirting panhandle is gone. Yeah, <laughs> that could convince people otherwise that a couple polar bears died because it's for all of them. I mean, that'll be tied to every no, fact. I, I, compl- like, I completely agree with oh, you. Oh, we should have done something. Yeah, you could have, but we're not willing to compromise our lifestyle. Well, you know, something else that you know you got to keep in mind. I remember seeing this one guy who was doing activist work in in, in Africa. You know, and people and he he was just going off and you know about people saying. Oh well, you know, save the lion or whatever. You know, you, you, you know, save certain you know animals that are being hunted, and he would work with people who were hunting these these animals on, on a subsistence level, or they had to live in fear of you know a lion coming into their village and taking people out. And he's like, you know, I challenge people to come here and live for just one week and realize what these people are actually going through before they go back to their comfortable you know studio apartment in L.A. and start preaching about how some animal needs to be saved. I mean, a lot of I mean, there are a lot of Western sensibilities when it comes to environmentalism. When it comes, to, especially when it concerns, concerns animal preservation, that are frankly just out of whack with the realities of where those animals live and the human cultures that interact with them, where the animals are found. You know, and I mean the polar bear is a good example. Um, and there's well, some a lot people's of, food you know, is other people's pets, and yeah, some the stuff that they find distasteful is, is, yeah, a, is, a, yeah. is a staple of someone else's diet. Who knows what? You know, the the argument is like, oh well, I wouldn't want you. It's like, oh, it's sometimes evolution. You know, the cheetah's designed for it. Yeah. Humans are part of are part of this whole thing too. You know, mm-hmm. we're part of evolution, and unfortunately, we're the type of species that takes over. Yeah. And you know, divorce yourself from the fact that it's you, and realize that you're just like, say, I don't know, say a, a pack of lions exterminating for whatever reason the cheetah population, just because they're the natural enemies, and which is obviously not based on any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But say that happened, we'd all go, oh, that's a shame, but we wouldn't. That, that's right. We need to step in there. No, we'd carry yeah. on with everything we'd else. Go, yeah. well, not only that, but we'd go, well, our nature sucks. Mm-hmm. Well, we're nature. We're part of it. We may su- we suck yeah. in that respect. But what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it's going to. I mean, I ha- you hate to see all. I hate to see you know when people like kind of accelerate the process. Yeah. Right. But good luck changing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, humans just. I, I mean, there are people who. There's an altruistic element to, to the human nature, but it has to be evoked and it has to be sort of drawn out of, and it, it's not our default thing to, to act in the best interests of others, it, you know, especially if, if their welfare has no real meaningful or immediate impact on our own. You know, humans just don't, we're just not wired like that. Otherwise, know, we wouldn't pollute, we wouldn't cut down rainforests, we wouldn't hunt yeah. whales or dolphins mm-hmm. or whatever it was. We wouldn't have war, we wouldn't fight with each other. You know, I mean, there's only so many, if we had any sense of, Altruism as a collective species, we wouldn't do half the crap we do, but we do, and that's how we are. So, yeah, no, it's not that I can say it. You know, <laughs> that's why I can't. I, I can't understand because you have to. Because you know, you can always find inconsistencies in anybody's argument, and I'm sure there's plenty of you know the usual. Well, you don't like eating meat, but you wear a leather belt, or you know, you're really worried about um, whales, but you know, you didn't bother looking at your kid or some yeah. thing like that. I'm sure everybody yeah. has inconsistencies that don't make mm-hmm. sense. Well, the truth is, I mean, I, you know, a lot of the biodiversity stuff, diversity stuff out there. I mean, I don't know. I can see biodiversity, say, in the rainforest, you know, because it might help us create medicines or something, which ironically will help create more people, which will deforest more <laughs> land. But let's let's forget that for the moment, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it's like more people. You got to find a place to put them. Where you got to find a place to put them? Well, that the forest looks good. And if, yeah, I know. Like, clear some trees out. We got some space. But, you know, that's something they want kind of. Use the vaccines. Well, well, right. You know, and, and there, there's an inherent kind of paradox to the whole biodiversity argument because it's ultimately that that argument is to preserve our own species' well-being. We have to preserve the rest of biodiversity, but 
it just ignores the fact that the more we flourish, the more we displace every other ecosystem on the planet. I mean, we, we displace it all. Natural There's selection determines eventually at some point we cut down enough forests that we can't support ourselves because we, we did that to ourselves. Yeah. The problem is if there were a rational species that was supposed to be able to figure stuff out you before it happens. Lit, <laughs> <laughs> <Lit> wow. <laughs> Is that the kind of thing I expect you to say? That's harsh. No? Sorry, that's not my line. That's from Delight on the Office. <laughs> <laughs> we know what though, I, I do remember reading, reading an article in the Wall Street Journal some years ago with this yeah. guy from Finland who was basically trying to promote the idea of zero population growth, right? And how, you know, really just the Earth needs to stop expanding whatsoever uh-huh. to maintain its current environmental resources and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and he basically said, "Yeah, what we really could use is, is really good, a really good kill down, a really good plague <laughs> to just reduce the global population and kind of and, 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 and kind of, well, and it wasn't necessarily it, it wasn't it wasn't like you know, oh, everybody from that particular part of the world, everybody from that particular part, you know, you know, belief system has, has to go. He's just like just people across the board. If we could reduce the global population by a good you know forty fifty percent, that'd be fantastic because it would give us some breathing room. And of course, you know, the responses that came in were." You know, I'll bet this guy doesn't imagine him, you know, his himself as being one of the people who gets, you know, reduced down. He's, you know, he's, you know, everybody, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm, of course, in you know, my happy little house yeah, in Finland. Yeah, he's in this bubble. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in the bubble, house. exactly, you know. But, but, you know, one of the things that keeps things going the way that they are, though, is that there's a uniquely human thing of just economy and poverty and imbalance of power and resources. Because, I mean, people tend to, I mean, a lot of populationists tend to look at human species as like an anthill, right, where there's a total egalitarian dispersal of, of resources. And, you know, we look at the ant colony. When it gets to the point where the ant colony ex- exceeds the food supply, the whole colony dies in very rapid succession. Right? That's because there's no hierarchy in there whatsoever. The queen dies, the drone dies, they all die. Humans aren't like that. Humans have a lot of hierarchies. You know, the truth of the matter is that you know the entire southern hemisphere of this planet will die before the northern hemisphere does, because the northern hemisphere has all the industry, has all the military might, has all the has all the, the money, and they will make sure that. You know, if a couple be- if, you know, a couple billion people have to go, there are you know the disadvantage will go first, and that's just the truth of it. Nobody nobody seems to be willing to accept that that fact, but that's just the way it's going to go because uh, because our altruism doesn't extend that far. Well, we, we, we have a sort of uh, we people like to think that we're altruistic than we are, but you're really not. I mean, we're all really out mm-hmm. for ourselves, and which is if you select yeah. loved ones, we might yeah. you know, kill somebody for yeah. our kids or our which family, but that's you know. But you know, as far as it extends, this actually swings back to something we've written about in the magazine, which is the whole notion of corporate sustainability and the triple bottom line, and corporate citizenship, and that sort of thing. And and I've always kind of wondered. I mean, I love the idea of it. I love the idea of corporations, you know, getting involved in sustainability in 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 in, in, in all things, you know, and in and in kind of acting in a super ethical fashion, and, and you know, because it has a it ultimately helps their own bottom line. And I, I get that, but at the same time, though, a lot of it seems to go directly counter to what. What business interests were were just created for? I mean, they're not there to, to do to do good. They're there to make a profit. They're there to make enterprise. I mean, when you know, I mean, Google's model is to do no evil, and that's fine, all well and good. But the truth is that if their best way of making a profit was by doing evil, if they're not going to do it, somebody else will. And that's just the nature of that's just the nature of business. So why constrain yeah, yourself well, to a certain sense of morality? The there is then that if you yeah. if you do evil or if you you know you're Eventually, kill the planet. Then you're yeah. not going to have a long-term profit. Well, yeah. So in order to do things that foster sustainability, will allow you to continue to make profit well, well down the road. But the problem with that is, is that most of the executive board will not be there that far down the road to yeah. realize the benefits that you, you know, that groundwork that you laid in the sustainability initiatives 50 years ago. 50 years ago, it doesn't happen that way. It's, you know, it's that's because 
crappy. Yeah, it's we don't have that kind of long term look. Yeah, no one has that kind of you know because it's not about sustainability. It's really like lifetime. I guess you could have well, especially with public Ford maybe if it's yeah. family owned for you know generations. Yeah, but we have public companies that have like quarterly shareholder reports. Mm-hmm. I mean. How can you possibly look at something with a long-term sustainability outlook when you've got a quarterly report to answer to? I mean, I mean, and, and, and frankly, I mean, I can see how that can defeat a lot of good risk management too. I mean, uh, you, know, you know, the truth is that if you're trying to look at the long term on something and try to in- install a three or a five year plan, to look, you know, trust us on this, keep in t- you know investing in I don't know some sort of worker safety, you know, effort that's going to cost money up front, but in the long run it will save you you know a, a substantial amount. It's hard to promote that when you've got such a ex, such a, a push for short-term gains right. and, and, and short-term results. You know, and I know that there's kind of a shift in corporate culture to kind of look past the, the short term, look past the next quarter. But truthfully, I don't know. I just don't. I don't see that happening as a, as a huge thing. And once the economy gets back on its feet, come on. I mean, it's going to go right back the way it was before. You know, I mean, I think everybody everybody knows it, and it's got to be depressing for any risk manager who thinks that things might possibly be meaningfully different afterwards because. I just don't. I will, I will bet you dollars to donuts that when things get good again, that the same kind of excesses will repeat themselves, and nobody will have learned a darn thing. That that's what I suspect. I'm not interested in learning. I'm just interested in getting by in the most comfortable way possible. <laughs> so otherwise, I'll still go to school. And no one can tell me that. I'm crazy people. What school? Let's go to school. <laughs> school is cool. I'm just saying. I mean, not that everybody thinks. I always that's the. This is, this is just yet another tangent. Yeah. My stress factors be. I want to go back to school. You do, do you? Yeah. How many people you know do that, and how many people actually go to school? I, I'm one of those people who says I should go back and take some classes and uh, be I much more that, charming than I, I am. But it. then I realized that no one can teach me how to <laughs> Jared, Jared went back to school. Mm-hmm. Well, some yeah. people do that, but it really, we, I would love to go back to school, like to but learn. we like short term fixes that they make. I us like happy. to learn. I expect to get. I would love to go back to school. I know I never would. You know what? My blanket statement has no basis in any way of fact whatsoever. You are so wrong. I may well be wrong, and uh, you're probably right. Maybe I should go back to school and find out. Why don't you? But I don't care. Oh. Well, then you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah going back to school, Mr. Mr. Rourke, why are you here? Because I don't care. You know what? I'm just going to leave, actually. I'm going to leave. It's just pretty dumb. I just came here because <laughs> I came here on a bet, and um, yeah. some people shamed me in a podcast, and I figured, well, I'll, I'll show up once, and... Uh, I'm Screw just saying, guys. there's I'm a lot of people that think about, well, it would be a good idea if I did this long-term yeah. thing that will benefit me, but mm-hmm. end up not doing it because of something they don't know. That right. That's why you don't work out. That's Lazy. why you don't go to, go to school. Maybe that's why you don't shop around for car insurance because it takes too much time yeah. and your American <laughs> Idol's on, and God forbid I miss whether or not Simon Cowell thought that Dobie country singer was <laughs> good or great. I don't know. I don't watch the show. The great country singer was not. You watch it, right? Uh, you know, I don't watch it anymore. No, in fact, I, I and I didn't watch it for most of the last year either. I just sort of tuned out, um, mainly because I'm convinced the show is fixed and the talent pool is getting ever more shallow. And yeah, I don't really care what Simon Cowell has to say about things. And honestly, I'm coming up on 40 years old, and so I've been thinking. I've, I've been thinking. I've been thinking a lot about what am I doing with my time. I like how and you laugh at just the mention of 40, 40 years, years old. Ha ha! I know where he's going with it. Ha ha! He's so old. All of a sudden, you're going to reassess your life and go. I'm 40 years old. I'm sitting on a couch watching. Watching about your American Idol, exactly. I'm like, like I would think the same thing though. It's nothing bad. It's well, good that you're thinking. I just that watched that a double yeah, feature yeah. of Hannah Montana and the tryouts for Explorer. <laughs> and Dora the Explorer. What's going on yeah, with my life? Exactly. Well, yeah, you know, I'm thinking. You know what I liked it. Well, you know, the thing is, my dad had a nearly fatal heart attack right around this time in his life. And I'm like, you know what? 
how bad am I going to feel if I wake up in a hospital bed having having a a, 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 a brush with a Widowmaker heart attack of some kind and I go, you know what? <laughs> Last three years of my life, what did I do? Did I write, did I did I did I do do more you know stuff on the side or do something significant? No. I'm a living expert on how American Idol went down. Uh, what, a horrible, horrible, what a horrible waste of time. I was on hold because you know, I wanted to ro- vote for Ruben Stutter 47 times. Yeah, so I, know, I right? spent $67 on the 900 number and was on hold for three hours. But God, they got he won! <laughs> I guess. Exactly. That, was, that was the guy who won. So. Uh, yes, he won. He beat a Clay Aiken. Although, although I thought it was early enough that I actually knew who he was. Though Clay Aiken became a little more successful than he became much more right? successful. Yes, and, and in fact, what's happened is that this, the number two runner-up usually does better than the number one runner-up, oh. uh, number one winner, which is what I know. Here, here we go. I guess this is this is my <laughs> this is my wasted this is my wasted life put out for display. Wasted. No, uh, no, you're no, a director at a company, and you have written a book. Yeah. Which I don't know how you do that with a wife and two kids and a full-time job. I have so a you long, haven't wasted I have, points. I have a long train ride. <laughs> <laughs> I have a long train I have so, a long train ride. I'm I don't saying, have we, all, we always have a lot of things that we, we always say we should do. We just don't have a lot of follow-through because yeah. we're the type of human being, like things, you know, we're, we, we're, we want to do things now. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, that's also especially true if that thing we want to undertake is, 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 has any kind of, like, si- significant degree of uncertainty attached to it. Because it just yeah. takes you out of your takes you out of your comfortable little mm-hmm. rut, and you think, well, you know, it can make me, you know, you know, who knows what's going to. I, I mean, there's so many people who could be starting up businesses at, you know, 30, 40, whatever. You know, yeah. you know they, they could do something really cool and just totally change how their life is going. But they're like, you know what? What I'm doing right now is, it's, you know, it's a reliable disappointment, <laughs> right? And they'd rather stay with it. I yeah. like that. Term. Right? They'd rather stay a with reliable it. Reliable disappointment. <laughs> That'll be on there on many tombstones. If we get to be just honest with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, seriously. A reliable disappointment. A reliable disappointment. You might as well just have a whole wing not, in the graveyard. Not, for that. No, not the, not the worst father in the world. <laughs> About, okay, so. okay, I guess. <laughs> okay, I guess. About as overweight as any other American. Yeah. A reliable disappointment. Pretty average, all things considered. Still love them. <laughs> exactly. That's cool, I guess. You know, voted yeah, vo- voted in eighty two percent of American Idol finals, forty one percent of presidential elections. <laughs> you know, but the, but the, but the thing is, you're absolutely right. Though I mean, I mean, people always say, you know, we, you know, it, it, you know, this is a good. I mean, when I tell people that I do writing in my spare time. A lot of people go, oh, you know, I'd love to write something. I'm like, well, then do. It's not yeah. hard. Find a keyboard. I mean, just say something. It's right. not, I mean, it's not rocket science, really. You just got to just do something. Um, but, but people are afraid to. And, you know, I, I read something about how um, that really to, to truly master something, to become really, really, really good at, at any particular skill, whatever it is, whether it's cooking, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know building a car, uh, running a business, whatever, you have to put in about 10,000 hours. Yeah, that was in a... Actually, what about from Gladwell's more recent book? You mentioned that in like one maybe an outliers or something. Outliers, I think you mentioned that. Um, yeah, and you know, and I don't know that it was his theory, but yeah, but, but what, what it really comes down to is about twenty hours a week, every week, right? You know, for I don't know, you do the math, <laughs> uh, but but basically a significant outlay of time. I mean, enough that you really have to want to do something. And and I think you know whether people know that people don't know that statistic, but they they have that notion that if they really want to achieve something great, they got to put in a great deal of time and. When when you when you have you know a life of reliable disappointments, right? You're like, you know, why would I risk it? You know, why would I why would I spend extra time and energy on something that I just don't know if it's actually ever going to come to and fruition? And realizing that if you need to spend 20 hours a week, it's two hours a you know two hours a day, it's like five days, take the weekends off. That's two TV shows you probably were going to watch that night. Yeah. Or something equally mundane, you know. And yeah. I'm sure you. A lot of people do that much, or hell, I, I probably watch twenty hours of television when it's when football season, just on two days alone. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Yeah. If I devoted that time to, um, I don't know, becoming a ruler of three worlds, maybe I would by now. <laughs> I, I, I doubt <laughs> I'd be wrong, but reliably disappointing. And maybe I'd rather speak that way. I'm not talking rule of the free world. I think that maybe, I don't know, um, what, would be, what would be a good job for Morgan as, 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 at, the, at the top of the world government? You can't pay me for being... Well, when you're, when watch, you're in that level, you're not talking about the paycheck. You just take what you want. Yeah. But, I mean, but I mean, what job <laughs> would you give Morgan, if, if not rule of the free world? I really want to be ruler. Just give me a... Give me a Many people to deal with. All well, the minions. Well, maybe you go to the story where I deal with minions and you shoot them down. The truth. The truth machine. Yeah, the truth teller. Everybody. Like, that idea sucks. That's the worst thing Like I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just. Yeah. I'm just being real here. Yeah, this whole this whole procession of people. There's there's yeah. Morgan on his on his throne made out of chimpanzee bones and a koala skull for a fondue pot. Yeah. And sitting there with a Colonel Kurtz look on his eyes. And it's like, yeah, Morgan. Baby have... rabbit chalice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, this sounds like the greatest day of my life. I know. I up. Why are you bothering me? Well, I had this idea that, you know, we can use tractors to disperse this stuff in the soil and we'll cure cancer in 20 years. Stupid. Yeah. Get out of my face. Yeah. But this Waste is like a good idea, dude. That would be a good idea. I'm going to be honest, though. Then he would go you on and on. can't because you're stupid. <laughs> he, would, he would defend yeah. his answer. Okay. He'd go on and on, and the person would listen and then learn, you know, be pissed off, but at least take away some bit of knowledge. It's a good, it, this would be a good idea if you weren't such an idiot. Just guessing. Just guessing, you know. He would be hated I, but respected. <laughs> hated and respected. Yeah. Well, that, that could, that should, He'd be the Simon Cowell. That would be on my tombstone. <laughs> hated, hated but respected. <laughs> Greatest tombstone I ever saw was... um. There was a guy who was uh, from the Lehigh Valley who um, was, a, was a close p- personal friend of uh, Kurt Vonnegut, and he, and he had died. I don't know a couple of years. One of my friends and one of my friends was a huge Kurt Vonnegut fan, so we figured we'd find this guy's tombstone, right? Because yeah. we, we knew where it was. And he was um, he was this prominent uh, attorney in the area, and I guess he had a kind of a quirky sense of humor. And he and Vonnegut got along. And we find his tombstone. <laughs> it just had his name. And all it said is the def- the defense rests. Yeah, nice. <laughs> that was it. Like, oh, I like, that. like yeah, it's funny because it's one of those things where, like, you know, people talk about putting that on their tombstone, mm-hmm. but they don't actually do it. Yeah, you know, and it's like, why? Like, who's? What do you care? People, you know, put whatever you want on your tombstone. It's your tombstone. Your lasting memory. Really? Yeah, exactly. You know, for almost forever. I mean, you would. I think you should have humor with it. I like it. You have a tombstone. Yeah. It's pretty oh. wasteful. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> build that house instead of knocking down that forest. It's trying to bring all this full circle, but it's yeah, not working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in Italy, I know that there's such a land shortage that you can only be, have something buried for a certain amount of time, and then you have to pretty much what? go. Yeah, no, no, I'm not kidding. There's the, the, there's such a scarcity of land as far as recept- for 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 funerary purposes that uh, for a lot of people, you know, they may get they you kind of like lease a plot, and after a while, if you don't renew it or something like that, you have to go and take care of the remains and cremate them or dispose of them elsewhere or something. Um, yeah, I I, I, I know somebody I know somebody's had to go through that. They, uh, they used to talk about that with um, Jim Morrison's greatest friends. Well, his headstone's been so defaced over right, the years. Right, so the, to the point that, like, it's, you know, it's supposed to be this, you know, cemetery supposed to be a place to be respectful. Right. But since everybody who goes and visits his tombstone is being anti-respectful, <laughs> anti-respectful, disrespectful, whatever, You're right. good thinking, they, every so often when his lease comes comes up, there's always talk of they're not going to renew the lease. Yeah. They just don't want him in there defacing it because every other tombstone around Jim Morrison's had like arrows pointed towards his. 
Oh, yeah, sure. Imagine, like, you're just buried there all minding your own business, being all dead. Somebody's, being all dead. Yeah. Somebody's like, you know, no, we don't, don't, you don't want to see this guy. Mars, <laughs> no, two rows down. It's like, <laughs> well, what you got to do is you got to own that, you know, and, like, your head's <laughs> like, you know, John Schmedley, fruit vendor, you know, poor, poor taste in clothing, a reliable disappointment, Jim Morrison this way. <laughs> you know? Good idea. But that's also, you know, that's also, like I said, it's probably limitation on your space and yeah. things like that, but that would be other things that would be generally reason why they had a note is because it's not the only time that it came out this way. Because it's like famous Dead Rock style. He died of substance abuse and fans seem to just love the idea of smoking on Jim Morrison's grave. <laughs> yes, it's just... You know, if ever there was a time for the zombie apocalypse to start, that's when it should start right there. Right. You know, big bloated lizard king Jim Morrison comes out and eats. Why are you worship a dead drug addict? Eats eats his old fan and then moves on. That would be that would be like ideal. <laughs> Everybody likes the doors once, and then then they grow out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, music's fine. His poetry so is dumber than kindergarten. His poetry is nonsense. It was clearly the work of a drug-addled, debauched. <laughs> Bloated gas bag of a man. <laughs> well, that for a tangent. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so real quick, let's get this back onto some sort of topic before we wrap this thing up. Emily. Yeah. What's up? What's going on with the flood thing? Because I know that there is the Red River is currently about to crest, right? Yeah, that's what I have here in front of me. I, I, I full disclosure, we recorded this whole podcast yesterday, and then technical failures like you know had been dogging this podcast for about two months now, and so we had this great podcast. We talked about. Flooding, we talked about NASCAR bump drafting, we talked about cosmic rays on Toyotas, and we lost the whole thing. So we So I obviously had a random rave about about endangered species and somehow trick Bill tricked us all into doing a podcast which we didn't even know the mic was open when we started this one. Like, <laughs> so now we're doing a podcast. Foolish. And that's why I'm in the big chair. We'll see what happens. We'll see if any of this recording. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Oh no! Won't happen again. I hope there wasn't a lot of profanity in the early part. There actually was. I will I don't know how I'm going to bleep that out. And, yeah. I think there was one that I uh, let slip until I realized, like, oh, Bill's recording this. There were three you let slip. <laughs> yeah, I was very angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Told you, it's very angry. You people would have heard some amazing things about cosmic rays. Uh-huh. Cars. But now you get nothing. We don't see you know, <laughs> <we> don't. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's good one. Nice intro. This is why we. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> no, seriously though, the uh, the Red River in Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, sure. Yeah, today reached uh, the major flood stage. Um, I don't know if you guys remember last year where it, it hit the stage as well. Yeah. Uh, huge flooding there. It reached a record forty feet. And at 7 a.m. today, the river stood at 30.34 feet. Um, so they got the National Guard in there, and everybody's helping out, a lot of volunteers, putting out sandbags and everything. Um, and this comes only a few days after heavy rains and, you know, horrible weather in the Northeast. Well, Bill, I know, you know you live in Jersey, and you had some bad weather over there. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you know the, the, the last weekend we had... Some people were saying it was kind of, it was kind of like a, an unnamed hurricane. It wasn't mm-hmm. that bad, but I mean the wind was pretty was pretty awful. I lost a tree out of my front yard that was. Um, we're talking about risk management. This is hilarious. We had this huge dead tree in our front yard that we were that we kept looking. You know, it was leaning over, and it was between our sidewalk and the street. This little strip of grass is kind of like a right of way, and we kept thinking. You know, my wife and I were looking at this, going, "We really ought to have somebody cut this thing down because it's not looking very steady, and eventually some storm is going to come blow it over." And we actually contacted Public Works, going, "Hey, look, you know, what do we do about this?" and they just told us, you know what? It'll fall. It's leaning towards the street. It's not going to hit anybody's house. Just let it go. When it falls, then we'll come with we'll chainsaw it for you. And we're thinking, well, okay. Um, 
It's going to suck for the car it lands on when it falls. Well, yeah, or, and, the, or the passerby. No, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? In this storm this last weekend, six people in the Tri-State area died from falling trees alone. I have an update. That's seven deaths were attributed to the storm. Five caused by falling trees. That's what CNN says. Okay. But that's huge from falling trees alone. Just from falling trees, I know, right? I mean, even in hurricanes in Florida, there's there are not that many deaths from falling trees. Well, you know, well, you know what happened is that there have been so much rain before the wind started the that, was, that all the soil was really, really soft, yeah, and, really and, and and you know, the, and you know, it had been coming around off a hard winter, so I mean, a lot of trees weren't doing so good anyway. A lot of them fell over. I mean, like, like we were driving around our area because there were so many power lines knocked down, you couldn't drive, in, you know, to a typical place and get there, you know, the way you normally would. There were detours and all that. So it's kind of like this this weird perverse version of like what we do at Christmas time, where we drive around the neighborhoods and look at everybody's lights. Right. Now it's like this meandering like tour of the neighborhood. Let's see how everybody else fared. Mm-hmm. Oh look, they lost a roof. Oh look, they, yeah. you know, their greenhouse is smashed in. And it, 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 it was it was pretty bad. And actually, um, at the at the ocean side, there was really bad flooding. I mean, all on the coast, there was really bad stuff. I know that the boardwalk in Asbury Park was, came very very close to being washed out entirely. Wow. And and I and I know that because. Uh, guy who works here at rims actually has a candy shop on that on that boardwalk and he said that the water had come up right to the bottom of the plank of the boardwalk like, like you would look out the storefront and normally there'd be this huge beach and then the ocean there was no beach it was just water up to there's like ocean and then boardwalk yeah. <laughs> and if it had gone you know a couple inches higher it would have mm-hmm. it would have just washed out all the stores there well it's ironic that you know all this horrible weather and flooding comes during national flood safety awareness week um yeah see uh, there was a, a study done in 2008, I believe, by uh, IIII Insurance Information Institute that found that only 17% of uh, those in the U.S. have flood insurance, and most of that you know, number is within the Northeast, uh, which I found odd because of how many hurricanes strike the Southeast, you know? Well, there's a lot more poverty down there, too, though. I mean, you know, and... and um, I don't know. I, I suspect people get hurricane fatigue after a while, and they just figured, you know, why not? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I, it, it's hard to explain. Like I said, people have problem planning ahead. It's, <laughs> it's complicated and tiresome to get insurance, and it and doesn't allow you to buy down. your yeah, fast right. food dinner yeah. and watch American Idol. What's the other show? What's the female American Idol? Big Brother, uh, Celebrity Apprentice. Whatever, watch whatever <laughs> show. You can't do that, so why bother buying insurance? Like, you know what? Actually, that hurricane didn't do anything to me today. <coughs> it it, 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 it can't possibly be, 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 be just that simple. I mean, you know, right. well, I mean, I mean yeah, everything is going to boil down to that today. Well, in a lot of the hurricane-prone states, you've got high, you got high costs, high deductibles, and then a lot of the people, uh, the homeowners down there, they rely on state insurance plans, like fair plans and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how those operate, but, I mean, a lot of the states are trying to get out of that business because they're bleeding them dry. Yeah. In terms of cash, up north, I mean, a lot of people historically the insurance penetration rates are higher for any given market, especially on the personal lines. Because people, they can, you know, the average income is higher. Most people can afford to buy higher levels of insurance, especially near the water. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know the top ten most significant flood events ranked by uh, payouts? So we, should we pretend that we never heard this list when we wrote the last <laughs> I podcast? I don't think you guys remember after number one. I remember. Okay, I remember number one was Hurricane Katrina. Yes, thank you, though. Hurricane um, Katrina with fifteen million nine hundred fifty-nine thousand in payouts. And I remember Hurricane Rita was number seven. Mm, I'm sorry. Or was that Hurricane Wilma? It is seven. Yes. Uh, it is seven, and Hurricane Wilma was number ten. Yes, good job, Bill. All right. Then, also looking under the fold where you're showing. Well, I was only going to do the top five. No, my eyes is not that good. I couldn't. I couldn't see. 
And I um, recall we had, met, we had talked about Hurricane Andrew possibly, but that's not even on the list. Because that's, that's more of a windstorm yeah, kind of event than, yeah. than water. Hurricane Hugo was in there somewhere, right? That's number nine. Who was, paying, who was paying this out? Bill was kicking your butt. Not, this is according to the Triple I, right? According to Triple I, it says includes events from '78 to 2008, defined by the National Flood Insurance Program as an event that produces at least 1,500 paid losses, saving in dollars when occurred. Source is U.S. Department of Homeland Security and FEMA. Which, by the way, if you need insurance, factoid type information, Triple yeah. I is like your one-stop shopping. I love those guys. They, yeah, I, mean, I they, always they, use it for the blog too. Oh, they 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 have they they they, they, they just run the best statistics on the industry, and and, and the reason why it's that's good is because. The insurance industry, typically for a not for an industry that is so obsessed and driven by quantitative, you know, analysis and just numbers, it's horrible about actually reporting numbers on a timely basis. All insurance data is always like a quarter and a half behind. Like any news story that relies on insurance data, it, the the best it has is 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 the previous quarter's re, you know responses. Because there's there's like it's like a full there's a full quarter worth of time. When people have data, but they're just crunching it and trying, right. and, and so like yeah. you, you know, you don't have like second quarter results till like the end, till like the beginning of the fourth quarter, and it's like, how is anybody supposed to understand where the heck the industry is going at that with that kind of lead time? It's horrible. So, but, and I know. So now back to this list. Hurricane Floyd was in there. Yes, number six. Number six, right? I'm not even participating. You can say it. I'm appreciate it if you did. I got some <laughs> items and some. Uh, He's boycotting the yeah. list. Yeah, boycotting the list. Yeah, I've been in there. That's number two. I, I, Summary, number two <laughs> with uh, 1,567,000. Morgan's the counterpuncher. He only says it when, it, when, it, when it really works, you know. What, yeah. else, what else do you need? <laughs> what else do you need? Well, um, what else you can me. I do you for that? <laughs> I'll fill that list in. You tell me what you need. You're number three. Oh, you want a number three? Yes. Let me think on that. Um, I'm thinking it's, uh, you know what? It's interesting, actually. What? It's not a hurricane, believe it or not. How do you know? It's a tropical... Because I know things. <laughs> it's a tropical storm. You cheated. Not. Didn't actually Somehow. get to hurricane. Allison. Yes, tropical storm of Allison. That's why I remember this? Yeah. Well, because Bill's wife's name is Allison, mm. and because you just showed me the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I felt sorry for you. <laughs> uh, number four is just named the Louisiana Flood. Number five, Hurricane Isabel. Six is Hurricane Floyd. Seven, Hurricane Rita, as Bill said... Eight is Hurricane Opal, nine is Hugo, and ten is Wilma. The top ten in terms of insurance payouts. And those are all within the last, what, 10, 15 years, right? Yeah, the oldest one on here was from September 1989. That's uh, Hugo. That's Hugo, right. Yep. That was a big one. So, as you build up around the coast, you have exactly. more People don't uh, learn. property at risk. What's well, something that, that, you know, that, you know again, again, it gets back to the whole environmental thing. People talk about the coastal risk, you know, level and how... Mm -hmm. You know, hurricanes are going to cause a whole lot more damage. But you know, even though – now, I haven't actually gone back and looked at storm data. And I don't know if, if storms, on average, are actually getting if, – if we actually are having, on, you know, on a, on a larger scale, if we are having a higher number of storms, higher number of named storms, higher number of storms that hit make landfall, all that sort of thing. I'm sure if we went to the University of Colorado right. in the William Gray's unit, they've got all that data going back. And I'm sure you can crunch the numbers. And, that, and I would guess there's maybe an uptick in hurricane activity but not a massive spike. But the truth is that – you know, this is very much a, a two-sided problem because, you know, there's just so much more coastal development now than there was even just 10, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, in, in a short span of time, the concentration of value is so much higher, and that gets overlooked all the time. And, and I know there, there, there are groups like the Heartland Institute and that sort of thing that really try to shoot down any kind of, 
governmental effort to you know uh, to press the insurance industry from pricing as they want to in hurricane areas, you know, because you know the idea is that well, people should take responsibility. Yep. But you know, and, and it's it, it, it's a thorny issue because the truth is that you know people are going to build near the water regardless of, 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 of the risk. It's just it just in this country especially there's that and I mentioned this before, but there's that built-in thought of insurance isn't something you buy. It's not like a car or or something else that you know you, you make a choice whether or not to buy it. I mean, well, many times you have to buy some level of it, but generally speaking, people think of it as a right you pay for. You know, I'm an American. I live I live in an affluent time. If the, if the wrath of God wipes my house away, well, then I am, am am owed some mechanism that will bring it back. And the truth is, it's not there. I mean, and most people just have to understand that. You know, Americans in general live with a lot less risk than most other people in the world do, and when it comes not when it comes calling, they find themselves woefully underprepared to recover from it, and we see that with hurricanes writ large, yeah. you know, and and flood insurance writ large, which gets to I guess there was um I mean, real quick some senator from Kentucky he basically what, shot oh, yeah. down, shot down the NFIP for a day. Yes, that was Senator Jim Bunning. Jim Bunning. Yeah, he did a little filibuster. So you mentioned this yesterday. No, 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 no. Who did Bunning play for? Like, well, uh, like, oh, it's like, like the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Third base Republican Party. No, he's actually a pitcher, and I'm confusing him with somebody else. But he either was either played for the Phillies in the '60s. The big question is, was or he the Washington or? Senators? But I'm thinking of ah, that would be awesome. I hope he played I for the Senators. I can't remember. I, I, <laughs> I really am probably just completely screwing it up. Yeah. I know he was a pitcher. Team. No, yeah. now it was a baseball team. Yeah. Oh. And now they, they, then they moved somewhere. Well, I just want the irony to be there. I want to be wearing a senator's <laughs> cap in in, in, <laughs> yeah. in the halls of all the, all the halls of Washington. You know, I, I really. Uh, I so, so what was Bunning's problem with the NFIP? I mean, was it was it the was NFIP it, being the National Flood Insurance Program? Um, he did not want it. Well, he had a problem with where the revenues were going to come from. Because he's funding this program, you know. Right. Um, so he filibustered, whatever, delayed everything, and um, finally they reconvened, and um, they've begun, the Senate has begun consideration to extend the NFIP until December thirty first, two thousand ten, which is good news. You know, my local television stations have been running ads for for the NFIP quite a lot. Um, you know, and basically, just, you know, you know, saying, you know, you, you think you're covered for flood insurance through your normal insurance, but you're not. You really ought to have, you know, flood insurance, you know, from from the National Flood Insurance Program. It's the first time I recall seeing that program actually advertising itself like a commercial product. You know, mm-hmm. and and maybe maybe that's, that's that's part of the push that you know, you know, if you look at look at the the history of them, you know, it is you know, I, you know, I don't know how financially viable the program is. I don't know if if it's profitable year over year based off of premiums. I just don't know. But uh, I have some trivia again. Do you, you know what year the NFIP was created? 1978. Mm, no. Uh, is it pre or post depression? Uh, it is post. Is it pre or post Emily Holbrook? <laughs> pre. Pre. Okay. So it's, so it's before 1992 then. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> All right. Before 1978. <laughs> okay. I got nothing witty to say on that. Uh, I turned 78. I was obviously wor- way you wrong. You were pissed off in 1978, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was little. He's, so he's, he's six years old. I'm so mad. Yeah, oh. I'm just so mad. Yeah, I was a little angry. Stomping around. 
Uh, okay, I'm going to guess um, late 1960s. Yes. That's like, right, 1968. It was created. Was it part of the Great Society thing? Um, it was created through the National Flood Insurance Act of 1968. Hmm. Uh, it enables property owners and participating communities to purchase insurance protection from the government against losses. Yeah. Oh. That's good trivia. Good Thanks trivia. I will always bring in trivia to the podcast recording. Really? I like it. That's kind of what it holds good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Next time, my, I will only do trivia. <laughs> I would love only trivia. This would be great. This is his with, with wacky top ten lists. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I thought it would be fantastic. I'd love we'll it. all lose to Bill and Trivial Pursuit because oh, he knows a lot of trivia. You know, my greatest moment of Trivial Pursuit was actually was, was, well, it was also the moment that, that my wife and sister-in-law and stopped playing with me forever, which is when I actually challenged the answer on one of the cards because I was, I, I was, and I remain convinced that, 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 that there's an answer that, um, that, that was just wrong. And, and, and I gave the, I was like, no, this card's wrong. The real answer is X. And like, you know what? Shut up. <laughs> like, at that point, I had like five of those little cheese wedges. They had none. And they're just like, <laughs> yeah. no, why are you digging in anyway? And I was a real jerk about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Were that's, you correct? With of course I was correct. Yes. I looked it up later when. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> of course yeah, I was correct. I'll never play the game. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it was. I was, I, I was just being happy. I was on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, if you're good, cool. Yeah. <laughs> if we can. So, so real quick, tell us about the cosmic rays that are, that are scorching Toyota cars, man. Toyota cars, you all know about Toyota cars. They just tried it and said they just accelerated on their own, evidently, and they recalled millions and millions of cars, trying to figure out what, what the problem is. Might be the floor mats, might be the pedal assembly. Some people think it's the electronics. Toyota doesn't think it's the electronics, though. Despite the, despite that case, the fact they're still sort of searching. They think they know, but they're not. It's, you know, there's some people still offering their theories. The best theory, far and away, from the Detroit Free Press yesterday. Hmm. Now remember, see, that's Detroit makes mm -hmm. American cars, so American. Perhaps there's I don't know. I don't know why you report that. My my favorite title: Are cosmic rays really causing Toyota's woes? Of course. <laughs> Toyota cars are accelerating because cosmic rays from space. Mm -hmm. Are messing with as opposed to cosmic rays from koalas or something. those koalas because who knows what they're all about. But evidently, there's been enough electronic disturbances from cosmic rays that they call they even have a name. They call them single event upsets. SEUs. Now is that is the idea that that well like you get there's there's documented cases of computer errors and things like that. Usually you, you would see it in like satellites and stuff like that. Like for instance, they're saying that in 2012 there's going to be an increase in sun spot activity, sun activity, right? Oh, yeah. The sort of thing that might mess up with communication mm -hmm. satellites. Mm -hmm. Now, you, now the, just because those things, you know, they obviously get a little bit more effective because they're higher in the atmosphere, but that doesn't mean that the radiation doesn't come down to our level. So the theory might be, well, what if Toyota's making microprocessors and computer software components for their vehicles? that is somehow more susceptible to these cosmic rays, to which Toyota replies, our controls are, quote, robust against this type of interference, which makes you believe that they actually have considered it. But anyway. That's kind of a uh, cocky statement, This too. is one of these things where, like, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Don't be, don't be ridiculous. It's not like it's going to make our cars go faster, Tom. Like, come on. Nothing Please. To with our cars. It's not ridiculous. While it is ridiculous on, on the surface, the yeah. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is put on the list. Oh, amazing. 
Well, the thing is, things they're going to they're going to consider. Now I'm sure that'll be low on the list. Now, 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 when we were talking about this yesterday, I mean, there's a lot of giggling and laughing because it sounds so ridiculous. But, but the truth is that they still don't really know why these Toyotas are just taking off and not slowing down again. Well, the main thing is, is they, they, they first they thought it was the floor mats, and it probably was because the floor mats were getting wedged, and there were definitely evidence that the floor mats were wedging under the pedals. Right. I mean, there's crash data from Mm -hmm. actual fatal crashes where they basically saw here's a Here's a chassis with a with a mat fused to the gas pedal, yeah. fused down. We know this what yeah, happened. Yeah. And but when you get enough l- reports of people saying my car was accelerating and there were no floor mats involved, well now there's something else going on. Yeah. So they have recorded a bunch of cars like that, and there even have been people. May or may not have been. It was a recent hoax potentially, where somebody said his car was accelerating. Turns out, may not have been accelerating. At least not the way he. He, you know, he, uh, he, he insisted he, he the story went. Yeah. So it's hard. So that kind of clouds all the data. So they're not really sure what's going on. There's mm. just it. I don't think Toyota. Toyota at this point is probably insist, is more or less insisting that we know we got this under control. It's all good. Mm. But then you even hear anecdotal reports that people take their cars in after the recall. They get you know they go into the dealer, and then they come back and they're still having problems. Now it's not like you know. Thousands and thousands, you know, this is an anecdotal evidence. But when yeah. you're a Toyota at this point, anecdotes they, anecdotes matter. They make headlines. <laughs> yeah, sure. And you've got to respond, and that's your you know yeah. your brand. So maybe there is a, maybe there is a lot of component. Maybe there's a lot of reasons why this, yeah. the acceleration issue is happening. Maybe it is floor mats in some cases, yeah. and maybe it's a faulty Possibly. computer, or maybe it's cutting through. But wouldn't the process grade, um, you know, affect other makes and models besides just Toyotas? Yeah, I would think that too. But the only scenario I can think of is either A, Toyota does something differently, mm-hmm. and we brought this up yesterday, but Toyota is one of the problems why you know people have all of a sudden looked at Toyota really closely and, want, and thought, well, wow, this company that used to have high-quality cars now doesn't. And there's been a lot of people looking at their manufacturing process and what was initially hailed as you know innovative, like cost-cutting measures. Yeah, sure. You know, I read one thing in Business Week that said, that the handles that pull your door the door closed used to take thirty seven parts. <laughs> now they take like four. Okay, so now you mentioned this yesterday, right? Yeah. I jumped in my Toyota Yaris to go to work this morning, yeah. and the first thing I look at the door handle, I'm like, "Wow, that, th- that thing is like seamless." I was like, "There are like no parts in this thing." Yeah, I was like, so they, "I was like," and I started looking at the whole car, going, "There are like, yeah, it's like it's, it's very simple construction." Yeah, I was like, so "Wow, perhaps, okay, perhaps they're using different components, cheaper components, less components that maybe make them susceptible to something they yep. should be." Yeah, perhaps. This report is total BS, <laughs> which is, or you know, I I mean I could I'm sure you could come up with a lot of other, a lot of theories as to why something like that would happen. Like I said, my number one theory is that it's not. Cosmic well, rays. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> be my number one theory. But <laughs> any, but even if it isn't cosmic rays, if it's because somebody cut corners on 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 the electronics of, of manufacturing, uh, the, mm-hmm. you know those the parts that run the car. It may not take cosmic rays. It might just take a rainstorm yeah. to cut costs so much. Well, you know, I'm sure it doesn't. Nobody yeah, get mad at me for saying that. But but you know, so something we'd mentioned yesterday when we're talking about the cosmic rays thing is, you know, you know, what if, you know, we were taking it seriously for a moment. What if there was a spike in cosmic rays, you know, on a, because of a sunspot or something, and and it just happened to affect a facility that was producing right. these chips, and so right. you just had a bad batch of chips that somehow got irradiated by cosmic rays, right? And, and you know, I mean, there's. It would be so hard to prove something like that, right? But, but let's just assume for a moment that you could, and let's assume for a moment that that's actually what happened. You know, that would be the supply chain risk story of the century, right? Yeah. You know, because 
not, not just because, you know, oh, the Sun fried a component and caused you know, the greatest product recall in commercial history, mm-hmm. but also because, it's you know... Greatest. It's up there. It's not number one. It's not number one? It's number one. What will be the top customer? Check out your April issue of Risk Management Magazine for a rundown. But depending on how you look at it, either there's a, it's probably like four or five. There's been a bunch of ignition and cruise control switch fires on oh, Ford. Yikes. Okay, right. Oh. And depending on who, Ford recalled about five, five to six million in different instances. Yeah. Some for ignition switch fires, some for um, uh, cruise control fires. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people will say that the number one recall was Ford. It's like 12 to 14 million, depending on what number you see. That's just because they take they took three separate ignition and switch like fire them together. recalls and lumped them all together. I got it. The it, depending on how you look at it, like Toyota's is up there because if you take all the acceleration related stuff, it's like mm-hmm. eight million. But individually, like the biggest recall is about five for the for the yeah. four matches. So, and another one that's up there was in the seventies. Evidently, a lot of um, GM vehicles had these weird problems with like the supports of the engines, like engine mounts. Bolts and like I forget what cars. Seventies GM oh, would yeah. break and drop the engine back off the, the throttle. Yeah, and another one would uh, some other mount would screw with the steering. Yeah, I remember hearing about they the engine had weird problems. problems on the list yeah. of things like they made certain cars so that there was enough uh, space on the chassis on the bottom where the gravel could shoot up and screw it and would get caught in the uh, steering gears. Oh really? And screw the possibility of it. I'm not sure how often it happened. Yeah. But there was a lot of, like, 70s GM had a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, it depends on how you look at it. You could say this is the biggest All right, but, but recent one, yeah. but the ignition switch but stuff is probably Still higher. a very significant event, though. Obviously. I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's leaving <laughs> Toyota's reputation in tatters. Their share price can't be doing that well as a result of it. Right. They had, the, the for them, a historic moment where they actually shut down production for a week because right. they weren't even making cars for a week while they're trying to get a handle on this thing. But if it were just because, you know, you had a single event failure of one component manufacturer... It says a lot about just the nature of, of, of maintaining a robust enough supply chain, and 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 and, and you know really underscore the need to manage that really aggressively. I know you know a lot of you speak to a lot of rooms members who are in like manufacturing business, and for them, supply chain is like the biggest thing. And and I've always thought of the supply chain from the point of view of not getting products to, to market. You know, like there are a lot of supply chain risk situations, like when Katrina happened. And all these farmers couldn't float their their grain down the river, you know, to the terminals, and, and you know, and that sort of thing. That's how I always imagined it. Never thought about you know a single failure, you know, from a product liability standpoint, where a component could be contaminated in such a large degree and hit so many other, you know, brands, yeah, I mean, brands downstream. I think a lot of people are realizing at this point that a lot of supply chain issues come from your suppliers, like yeah, right. where you're getting your stuff from, mm-hmm. and as you get like natural disasters and things like that, that that cut off those avenues. No. You can't make. You can't even. Let alone get you can't make your product correctly. Let alone get it to market. Yeah. Know, that's even more important because especially if you, with Toyota's going to hit, they're going to have billions of dollars in lawsuits. Yes. First of all, the, the company has said it's going to take them about two billion. This is a while back, about two billion just to deal with the whole recall and lost sales angle. God. AP estimated like last week or so that looking at the case stuff files that have you know the uh, the legal cases that have been already filed and the class actions that are kind of. Consolidating, mm-hmm. they're looking at probably three billion dollars in legal losses. Oh my god! But that's really has nothing. To, I mean, that's it, it's just a number of shot in the dark. I mean, yeah, that's sure. Analysis that's based on it could be that much. Yeah. But you're, I think it's safe to say there's billions of dollars in legal costs, and that if say it was because of the bad part, right? That you, you know, Toyota may have contracted out. You've got billions of dollars in losses because your supply got screwed up. Yeah. 
I'm sure if in the end if it turned out to be cosmic rays, that would almost be like a blessing in disguise because there's really nothing they could have done about <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, honestly, it's, 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 not like it's not like you manage your supply chain poorly because the sun was out that day. You failed to put lead shielding on <laughs> top know, of all your car hoods. Nobody can because ask you to do that sort of thing. So in a way, that would be great, but I can't see that being the case. It just seems so far. If cosmic rays were to somehow absolve Toyota some sort of liability, it would be kind of like the, uh, the Twinkie defense. You guys ever hear about that? Back in like the 19... 19- I don't know. I remember hearing about this back in the 80s, but I don't know if it actually happened then. I've heard of that term. Yeah. The the Twinkie defense was, uh, oh, man, legal experts will will probably take me to task for getting the details wrong. But um, basically, it was this – I remember there was a homicide case. This guy had killed, like, his girlfriend or something like that. And the idea was that he had just had um, some some sugary food and had had some sort of medical condition where – it created like you know this sugar imbalance in his brain or something, and he just kind of kind of lost. It was it was a it was a insanity defense basically. But the idea was that it was triggered by a spike in his blood sugar levels, brought on by the food he ate. People and people sort of wrote it off. Oh, you know the Twinkie defense. And I I don't know. I can't remember if it worked or not. Right. I, I just remember I just remember that was all the rage when people were talking about tort reform in the eighties. Oh, things like the Twinkie defense. Like, are you kidding me? You know, you can get off a murder murder charge by eating a Twinkie. It just seemed seemed a little crazy, but. You know, if Cosmic Rage gets Toyota off, you know. I, I can't see that being the, the case. No. I mean, it was an anonymous tipster. It was reported in uh, the Detroit newspaper. I don't know. It seems a little weird. Not to say that somebody in the Detroit newspaper is uh, somehow on the side of the American car company. But. <laughs> the Detroit angle reminds me of, um, I, I think it was SNL, um, ran a digital short a little while ago. Basically, you know, it shows two people going out, you know, in the woods. It's like a... You know, it's the weekend. You want to go, you know, go out and you know, reconnect with nature. And they're on a hike, whatever. And they they get into their Prius to drive home. And of course, the Prius just takes off and it's like just racing down the mountain road. They're shrieking and screaming. They can't stop it. And then see the car go around the corner. It just goes Ford. We make hybrids too. Nice. Like you know, if only if only Ford had the, had the courage to run an ad well, like Ford that. Ford has some in there. That'd be awesome. Well, I of mean, they're not they're not overtly they're not doing ads like that, of course. But <laughs> the most vicious ad ever. You know, you know their sales their sales is. Think about it. Toyota's gonna have problems. GM has been just in free fall since for years now. For years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're in a bad mean, way. You know, that's who's who's third. Ford out there. Not Actually, for much longer, perhaps. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if it, that's 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 probably true. You know, I mean, yeah. GM's still got a lead, but you know, it's, it's not like they're all of a sudden capitalizing either. No, no, cars are cars are a hard uh, market to be in anyway. No, well. Well, that's, we're coming up on about an hour now, so that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, uh, Morgan, for taking time out of his schedule to be with us today. Thank you, Morgan. <laughs> we could have done it without you, man. Thanks for allowing me to vent. <laughs> exactly. So, well, there'd be no podcasting without him venting Morgan. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, if we have a really good week and nothing bad happens, there's, there's no podcast. There's they try to bait me, I tells you. <laughs> we don't have to try very hard. No. Man. No. <laughs> no, so... But you know, you know, but real quick, you know, the one thing that that I, I regret losing in the, the first edition of this is we had this big segment on NASCAR, and Emily uncharacteristically started going off on NASCAR. She was like, "Ah, <laughs> why don't we do I this? NASCAR, it's We're like, going to oh. tease the next podcast. This NASCAR thing can wait, particularly because of Billy Grayson. We might talk about NASCAR next time. Yes, how about that? Let's do. We'll so if you, so, so if you like NASCAR, make sure to set your watch for this one because we're going to be very unkind to folks in NASCAR. So keep your eyes peeled for it. Uh, in the meantime, please make sure to st- swing by our blog site. That's the Risk Management Monitor at riskmanagementmonitor.com. Swing by the magazine site at rmmagazine.com. Uh, swing by rims.org for all your 
uh, news and updated information on the discipline of risk management. And if you have not already registered for the RIMS 2010 Boston Conference, please make sure to do so. You can do it at RIMS.org. And uh, there's still plenty of time to register for the conference and to get some really good travel deals uh, already. It's up, you know, if you're in the Northeast, it's really easy to get there. Uh, and if you're from farther away, it's still a really good destination to get to. Uh, great for doing business. It's the next to next to Hartford, which is the insurance capital of the world, and uh, it's going to be a really great show. So be sure to. Uh, and I'll be, sure be there there. in case you have any questions about any half baked ideas you have to get rich. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, look for the angry long haired guy. <laughs> I can't hear you say the words half baked and not think of you know a half baked you know, koala head or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like and if you have any tips on how to cook a good koala, I'll, I'll take it. You did put a recipe for for turducken in the blog in the blog one time, didn't you? What is it? I thought it was, no, it was something cookies. Else. Oh no, yeah, it was right. Oh no, it was cookies. Oh, no, I know what it was. He he came up with the recipe for pink eagle, which was which was his version of turducken. Panda monkey and bald eagle, all rolled into oh one. It's probably <laughs> delicious. It's probably illegal. Wow, that was smoking. Tank Eagle. Probably, probably delicious, delicious. Probably, probably illegal. illegal. <laughs> well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Risk Cast. For more on the stories we discussed here, be sure to check out follow-up articles on the Risk Management Monitor, as well as on the pages of Risk Management Magazine. If you want to get in touch with us or leave a comment, you can email us at the Monitor website at www.riskmanagementmonitor.com or leave a comment over at iTunes where you can subscribe to this podcast and get new episodes automatically. In the meantime, be sure to swing by RIMS.org and check out the many offerings RIMS has for risk professionals everywhere, whether it's our ERM Center of Excellence, our position statements on ongoing governmental initiatives, the RIMS Job Bank, or our new social network. There's a ton of stuff to take advantage of. So the next time you find yourself checking to see if anything new has landed in your Hulu queue, go to RIMS.org instead and see what we have to offer. You'll be glad you did. Now, there's only about a month left before RIMS 2010 Boston kicks off at the end of April, uh, and it's not too late to register as well as get some great travel deals. People, this is the industry event of the year. If you are in the risk business of any in, in any capacity, then you really owe it to yourself to go to RIMS 2010 Boston. There's just a tremendous amount of offerings there, huge number of sessions. Anybody who's anybody in the industry will be exhibiting there. We've got great speakers. Uh, it's a networking event unlike any other. It's just going to be fantastic. If you live in the Northeast, there are going to be a ton of easy, cheap ways to get to the show. And if you live farther away than that, you'll find that Boston is a great destination to do business in, as well as maybe spend a few hours sightseeing. So definitely make sure to get there. Now, that's about all we have here uh, for this episode of the RiskCast. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Bill Coffin. And on behalf of my colleagues, Morgan and Emily, we appreciate you stopping by. And uh, now I'm going to leave you with some words of wisdom from Charles Tremper, Ph.D. and Chief Information Officer of the American Association of Homes and Services for the Aging, who said this, The first step in the risk management process is to acknowledge the reality of risk. Denial is a common tactic that substitutes deliberate ignorance for thoughtful planning. Truer words were never spoken. See you next time.